You're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast, and today I was rejoined by my friend and soul sister, Rain Dunn, to go deep into how we step into our divine feminine and divine masculine to create sacred union. And if that sounds too abstract, just think of it as how to cultivate a healthy relationship that creates happiness beyond your wildest dreams. So stick around. personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Welcome to the Reconditioned Podcast, where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world to take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans. I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach. And following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true long lasting well-being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. Before we get stuck into the uninterrupted episode, I wanted to let you know why I am such a huge fan of the company supporting this season of Reconditioned, the Endo Clinic in Harley Street, who specialize in biological dentistry. Now, you might recall me speaking about my journey with biological dentistry, both here on the podcast and over on my Instagram, and all of it was conducted over at Endo. So those of you who have been here for a while will remember that I was suffering from trigeminal neuralgia, which is otherwise known as the suicide disease, and it really was that bad. And three dentists over 18 months had told me it was nothing to do with my teeth. But after a colleague told me about biological dentistry, and I'd been reading numerous books on the subject, and I watched the film Root Cause, which I highly recommend you all watching, I found the Endo Clinic, and they absolutely ticked every box I was told to look for. And I really was told to tick off these boxes to ensure that they were genuinely taking a biological approach to dentistry. So that's everything from safe mercury removal protocols to ceramic inlays and ceramic implants and a general health optimization approach. They use absolutely no metal at all. They work on the basis that our immune function is lowered during dental procedures, which is just something that you don't get at all with conventional dentistry. The possible connection between my health concern and dentistry was found in the first consultation. Again, something that all these other dentists and facial pain specialists at honestly some of London's top hospitals were not able to see. Because what they know is that previous dental treatments can lead to jaw cavitations, something that only those who are trained in biological dentistry 
know how to look out for. Now, during my procedure, I was given IV vitamin infusions, ozone therapy, and this state-of-the-art plasma PRF treatment, which was all to ensure that we were giving the body the very best chance to heal. And there's also a whole pre-treatment protocol as well. Anyone who listens to this podcast will know how much my life's journey has been about health optimization, so this was just revelatory to me. And the trigeminal neuralgia went away the very next day. And it's not just facial problems. We now know that up to 70% of chronic health conditions can be as a result of conventional dentistry treatments and misconceptions surrounding oral care. I honestly recommend this clinic to everyone I know. And if you are experiencing any dental, facial or chronic health problems, or you just want your teeth looked after by a team who truly understand the long-term way to keep teeth and gums healthy, go to nduclinic.com. The clinic are offering a 10% discount off your initial consultation for anyone who mentions coming through Lauren. And this will include a dental exam, x-rays, 3D scans, and even your first hygienist appointment. So that is nduclinic.com. Thank you to Endu. Hello everyone. So I am here again with my soul sister, Rain Dan. Hey girl. so we have lots of very very expansive chats about relationships and what it takes to grow a healthy relationship and we talk a lot about trauma in relationships Mm. and we talk about why we chose bad ones why we choose bad ones and the mistakes we can make and how to fix them how to spice up relationships we talk about a lot so we thought it'd be nice to get together again and have one of our chats and just kind of do it publicly so that everyone else can benefit from hearing what we talk about and we want to talk about cultivating healthy relationships and the power what we like to call sacred union and sacred union is coming to it. Well, what, how would you define sacred union? Let's start there. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I think for me, the key to having a healthy relationship is, and not only in your romantic relationship, but also say your relationship with your children or other family members or friends is to always place your relationship with yourself first. Mm. I don't know. This is something that you get deeply mm-hmm. so um what my journey has been is through really nurturing that relationship with myself and discovering who I am first it allowed me to come into what we can refer to as a sacred union where as opposed to just being a regular relationship where you are codependent on each other and you're both enacting your traumas out on each other you create a a sacred container where you are each holding space for the other to become the best version of yourself. And that, like when that happens, it's just something magical Mm -hmm. um, that can really change your life. Yeah, totally. And I think we've both had the opposite experiences. You obviously, you know, more so in in a very profound way, which hopefully we'll get to a little bit. Um, But yeah, I feel that way about it as well. And as you know, so much of my work and what I do is about helping women find their purpose, because I always say like, you cannot find the right relationship unless you know yourself. Absolutely. Like you literally can't. And the problem is, is that we tend to get married 
quite, I mean, in my community anyway, we get married quite young. It's like a normal thing. Everyone kind of wants to get married and wants the wedding and, you know, like in your 20s or even in your early 30s. And I think you just don't know yourself unless you've grown up with like extremely conscious parents who have allowed you to really cultivate your true authenticity, which, you know, that's very rare. It doesn't happen often. I think that, you know, we come to relationships ticking off some boxes you know does he do this is it this has he got this excellent tick that will do and on a subconscious level we're picking our partner according to whatever we experienced in our childhood so all of our childhood traumas are coming through in how we pick a partner unless we become conscious of what those traumas are and work on resolving them and then consciously pick the partner that we want so much to unpack here so and that's yeah. why <laughs> that's why I need to like write stuff down because when you and I talk we just go like there's yeah, so I many just, tangents like, we can go my notebook closer because I, I like to yeah both of us but... <laughs> <laughs> but that's why inner child work is so important right because we need mm-hmm. to start with the inner child okay so what has my conditioning led me to believe around relationships what is my conditioning around what an acceptable relationship is so Mm-hmm. have your parents taught you even subconsciously just by kind of subliminal messages that they've given that you know an acceptable partner earns a certain amount of money or looks a certain way or has a certain job or you know any of the, it is within your culture or isn't within a specific other culture you know are there all these messages that are guiding you towards the kind of person you will meet and the kind of person you will end up with yeah and so starting within a child work is so important because we break down those limiting beliefs first and foremost right mm-hmm. and then and then and this is why on the recondition your life academy we have the inner child workshop like we have the inner child module and then the shadow module and then self-love before anything else because then you go into shadow and then you really get to delve and see okay what is it what what is this darker side of me the things i don't want to see about myself so we judge things in other people that we don't want to see in ourselves or the things that we've been led to believe aren't good behavior. So if your family always made you believe that you should, you know, just be quite quiet, don't, don't speak too much in terms of, no, 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 we don't speak our opinion. We don't, you know, we don't want to like rock the boat. We don't want to cause any controversy. So you've grown up kind of not really being heard or validated because that was the narrative. You would judge any potential prospective partners that maybe are quite open with how they speak because that doesn't but maybe that is exactly what you need because that's the thing that you are suppressing in yourself so shadow Mm -hmm. and then like you say self-love because then we need to get to the point where we love ourselves if we don't know ourselves and we don't love ourselves how can you choose the right partner so I don't know about you but do you look at friends that you've known that have been in relationships or marriages for ages and you just look at them and go but you're not actually happy. <laughs> like maybe they think they are, but like we've gone to this whole other level of work, yeah. inner work, like deep shit. Yeah. And so we can kind of and, differentiate um, between what is this like accepted version of happy and what is actually happy. And and never mind even just people that sort of think that maybe they're happy but are not really. Like, what about all the women that are and men? that are in relationships in which they really are deeply unhappy, mm-hmm. but for some reason just cannot end it. Okay, well, let's start there. Yeah. Why did yeah. you stay then? Because <sighs> you're the perfect example of, of yeah, actually this I happening, am. and you you so, did eventually get the courage. and Yeah. 
So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I got married quite young. Well, we didn't actually get married, but our relationship started when I was very young. I was only 19 when we met. Wow, are you 19? Yeah, I was 19. Wow. And um, also, like, even going further back than that, my very first boyfriend, we started dating when I was 13. And because I grew up in a, um, a religious Christian school and church, uh, you know, there was no sex before marriage. And so it's like sort of a given that you'll get married quite young. And um, so in my first relationship started when I was 13. And by the time I was 16, he had proposed to me. Wow. Just a side note, I wasn't like a regular 16 year old. And this is also part of what led me into an unhealthy marriage is that I left home at the age of 16, mm -hmm. because I had skipped two, two years of school and finished early. And I was just like a very precocious and um, independent teenager. And, um, you know, there were, there were various factors, like my, my parents had gone bankrupt and I felt like I was old enough to take care of myself and I didn't want to be a financial burden on them anymore. And so I, I set off on my own at the age of 16. And then subsequently, um, after some time on my own, my boyfriend and I started living together, which was very scandalous in the Christian church. And then, um, you know, the plan was that we would get married once I was 18. And when I got to 18, um, I just, something in my soul just said to me, this is not right. And I knew that there was so much more living that I still needed to do. So I broke up with him when I was 18. I, I think I just turned 18. Um, and then only a year later, I met um, the man that was to become my husband it was a very on and off relationship for the first two years. It was a very unhealthy attachment right from the start. And um, I can remember there being a point in time where I very clearly thought to myself, I know this is not healthy and I know that he's going to hurt me, yeah. but I love him so much. So Right, I'll, right. Yeah. But, but I love him, yeah. But. Yeah, but I love him and and I can't live without him. And, um, you know, that goes back to my traumas from my childhood. Um, my parents didn't have a healthy relationship. I love both my parents dearly. They know that, but they also know that um, the, the state of their relationship had quite a big impact on my brother and myself. They were often fighting. Um, mostly screaming and shouting, but um, I have some memories of it getting physical as well. Mm. More like fucking up the house than each other. But, you know, on a small child, that has a pretty profound impact. And it was actually something that to a certain degree I suppressed. And I only started remembering um, some of it in my 20s. So I think I also wasn't fully aware of what I'd experienced. And so what I had experienced obviously informed my choice in a husband. And what also contributed to that is the fact that my parents went bankrupt when I was 13, 14. And even prior to that, I was a very sensitive child. And so from a very young age, I mean, probably the age that my son is now, nine, I was aware of the fact that there were financial difficulties yes. and I would try to um, make it easier on my parents by like not asking for too much. And so I took a lot of the that same. myself. Yeah, I'm sure you were. Mm -hmm. So 
it, it was kind of a lifelong thing for me that money was an issue and there was the sense of lack. And so um, my ex-husband was a very wealthy and successful man. And even though consciously, if somebody had asked me, I would have said, absolutely not. The money's got nothing to do with it. I love him. I'm madly in love with him. In hindsight, I can see that, of course, subconsciously. Security. Yeah, I was looking for security. Mm. Because when we started living together, it was the first time in my life that I felt like I could breathe around the issue of money and paying bills and making it through the month. Right. Can we just pause there for a moment? I don't, yeah. I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but I want to pause there because this is a really, really important point because yeah, we hear so often, oh, she's a gold digger. Yeah. She's a gold digger, right? It, right. Let's throw that word out the window because yeah. a woman who ha- has spent her life as a girl feeling n- no sense of security around finances, and that is very difficult. It is, you know, and and you come to a relationship and it's not, I want his money. It's, I can breathe now. Yeah. Like there is, you know, and and, and let's talk about this biologically as well. Okay. You've read Sex at Dawn. We've both read Sex at Dawn. We understand like the biology behind males and females and how we, you know, the male is set up to be, I'm talking biologically. This isn't, you know, kind of a discussion about sexuality. If you don't, um, identify as you know any of that stuff let's just put that stuff to the side a moment but biologically as a male you are set up evolutionarily right exactly set up to be the provider right and because the woman's body is setting up to nurture young and you can't go out and work when you're doing that I'm talking about like you say evolutionarily I'm not talking about you know a woman who might choose to go back to work after however many weeks but our bodies are preparing us for that so biologically we are wired to recognize the men who can provide. And that gives us a sense of relief and a sense of security that we can then relax and go, okay, I'm going to be looked after. It is attractive to us on a physical hormonal level as much on a subconscious psychological level. Mm -hmm. So it's very much out of our control unless Mm -hmm. we become conscious of all of these. Exactly. Within ourselves. And that's why, you know, you, you brought up the word gold digger. I can clearly remember at that age in my early 20s when when we were in this sort of weird on again off again situationship um i i saw other girls actively pursuing the rich men because they wanted their money and i found that disgusting i judged them for it mm. so it was definitely not a conscious thing that i was like okay cool he's got money i'm going to go after him yeah. i was just physically emotionally subconsciously from my trauma wounds attracted to him yeah and in my eyes, it was like, oh, what a what a happy coincidence that also now I don't have to worry about money anymore. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I remember that feeling as well, you know, being a child. And, I, you know, I used to hear my friends saying, oh, yeah, I'll just ask my dad for some money. So we can, I, I, to this day, I swear to you, I never once as a teenager, as, I never, ever said to my dad, can you give me 10 pounds? Can you give me 20 pounds? Because all I ever heard him talking about yeah. was no money and it's just those words said in Hebrew over and over again like are just embedded in me there's no money I don't have it there's no money you know and he'd like make jokes about it but there was no and, and he worked in the markets he sold children's clothes so he'd come back with clothes for us from the market but that was that was it. I couldn't ever ask for money and like, I remember kids saying oh yeah I stole 20 20 pounds out my mum's wallet and I was mortified I was like how could you do that because my parents taught me like you never, 
ever take money from your parents. Like, don't ever, if you ever steal from us. And it embedded this thing in me of, God, how wrong it must be to ask your parents for money. Yeah. And the funny thing is, my mom is so generous. Like, she will give the last of what she's got, you mm. know? So it's not from that place. It's just this inner subconscious modeling that we're putting on our children when we say things yeah. like, no, there isn't enough money. Oh, the bills have come through. We're not going to be able to pay it. And I have this memory yeah, my... on, on, on not only our words, but our energy, the energy around. around money and money is such a powerful masculine energy. And I remember my dad coming home from the market on a Saturday and I would stand at the entrance to his door and he would count his money out onto the bed. And, and I just, I, I don't know why it's, it holds for me as such a profound memory, but because money was such a thing growing up that it does become a thing when you're choosing a partner it does become a thing it's like in relationships family member it's an entity on its own it is it's so and, strong you know I can't speak from the point of view of somebody who grew up with money but I would imagine from what I've observed that when you are in a well-off family where money is not such an issue then it's not that entity within right. the family home and then also money it's constantly there Yes. And you see often uh, women or, you know, girls, whatever, from families who have a lot of money, usually money attracts money, right? So you see people, uh, you know, attracting people who, uh, partners who have the same kind of wealth, their families. But also what I've observed is that people who do have money, who come from families with money, they're not, they don't have this subconscious fear. So they might meet a guy who isn't that well off because they always know that their parents are going to give them or they have an inheritance fund or a property in their name or something you know when you don't have that you have and I came at this aspect in a very different way as well because I was you know some variation of disabled for so much of my life and even when I met Daniel you know I was still a lot of the time not able to work and I that was always a worry for me like if I can't work and if I go backwards and if I have a flare up and if this happens, what's going to happen to me? You know, if I, 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 I need someone who can protect and provide. It's like a whole another layer of. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm glad we're talking about this because this yeah. is stuff people don't talk about because it's either embarrassing or yeah. shameful or whatever, but this needs to be spoken about because as women, and you, you used a very interesting term the other day when we spoke and you said financial abuse is a thing. And it's because there are, like you said, there are just so many facets and layers to finances within a relationship and within a marriage that causes women to either choose the wrong relationship. And like you say, not always consciously or yeah. to remain in the wrong relationship because there is no escape when you're stuck yeah. financially. But anyway, let's go back to where you were. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I made this, I, I think that early on in the relationship, I was much more aware that this was an unhealthy attachment. Mm. Uh, and then I made this decision to just accept it because I love him so much and it's so romantic and, you know, I'll accept that for him. And then a weird thing happened when we uh, committed to each other and started living together with the intention of getting married. It was like, all of a sudden, everything just works out. And and I thought that, oh, wow, he's, he's not the, the bad boy that I thought he was uh, because I thought that he would end up cheating on me all the time. Uh, this was the sort of perception that I had of him from the early stages of our relationship, which was really just a lot of drinking, drugging, late night calls, you know. Mm. Um, so that, that was the start of our relationship, which is not healthy 
Mm. And then once we started living together, um, all of that sort of settled and, and, you know, he treated me very well and, and was very kind to me, very generous with his money. And I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And, and so as our relationship um, living together and then entering into marriage and having a child started, I created this illusion for myself that I had this wonderful, perfect marriage. And I did it Let's so well. Let's up a step because you compromised a lot still. I mean, you changed religion. You know, there's a lot that you actually... I skipped over that part. Yeah. Coming yeah, from, so... you know, the, the, the religious Christian church to really, yeah. you know, not that you ever really felt so connected to that part of yourself, but you gave that up. Yeah. So I left the church um, long before when I was 16. When I left home, I left the church as well. And uh, was pretty uninterested in religion for a while and then I started making friends with Israelis and I became quite enamored with Judaism and I thought oh Christianity didn't work but like this this one looks good like maybe this is the way to do it and I was very attracted to the the family focus of Judaism especially because I came from a sort of broken home even though my parents only got divorced after I left home it was a broken home mm. leaving home at the age of 16 being on my own like that in itself I only realized much later on I put myself through a trauma by leaving home at the age of 16 and putting the pressure on myself of being an adult and mm. supporting myself was a massive trauma for me so by the time by the time I was 18 19 and I started making friends with Israelis and I was invited into their home mm. and their mothers were so nice to me and I got invited over for Shabbat I really fell in love with that whole lifestyle and I I felt um that sense of family again mm. and so you know when I met him he him being Israeli um you know that was just like I'm going to get all of that and I'm going to be able to raise a child like that yeah Yeah. and so when uh at the age of 21 when he told me that he wants to marry me but I have to convert I was like sure of course I'll convert because I had already sort of been on this train of thought that I I was very interested in Judaism and I wanted to convert saying that now I'm just like what was I thinking I don't know (laughs) And yeah, I remember seeing you in, in Israel at that time during your conversion when you were living on kibbutz and speaking to you about it. And it was, mm. yeah, and it seemed like so sure, you know, because we just, we don't know ourselves and so we become sure on things and we don't know ourselves. But, you know, yeah. it worked out for me because, you know, all those um, Israeli families were the reason we met because they were exactly. my family. <laughs> yeah, so I went through this whole conversion process, which was... Um, not an easy thing. Anybody who has gone through it or attempted it knows that. I, I went to live on a kibbutz in Israel. I learned to speak Hebrew fluently. I learned how to read and write it. Like I dedicated myself to it. And, you know, looking back and, and as I came out of this marriage, um, one of the things that I became really angry with myself about and with him and had to forgive myself for was the fact that I did not think that I was enough as I was and felt that I had to prove myself worthy of his love. And that's why I 
threw myself into converting because I felt like this is how I can prove that I'm worthy of love. Wow. Yeah. And so I went through the whole conversion process, ended up that the rabbis wouldn't convert me in the end. And, and uh, he was about 39 at the time, I think. So we decided that we were going to go ahead and have a baby anyway, because we didn't want to wait for the conversion anymore. And so um, we got pregnant and I was super excited and happy. Like I'd been, I'd always wanted to be a mom. So, um, you know, it, it was something that I really wanted deeply. And um, I always say that I believe that it was when my, my son's soul came into my body, it was like his soul started to awaken me. And I started to wake up to myself and realize that it was almost like I'd been asleep or in a trance for so many years. And I was very disconnected from myself. And so it was through the process of pregnancy, giving birth, and then becoming a mother that it was like this veil was lifted from my eyes. And suddenly I started seeing things differently. And you know, all, the, all of the language that I'm using now to describe what happened, I didn't understand that that was what mm. was happening at the time. Mm. Uh, it was only years later and with a lot of therapy and self-reflection that I figured all of this out. But at the time, I didn't understand what was happening. I had a baby. I had this quote-unquote wonderful husband. I had all the money in the world. I didn't have to worry about anything. Everything was perfect. And I'd created this illusion of being the perfect housewife and the perfect mother to the degree that everybody around me believed that as well. They used to call me Brie, you know, from Desperate Housewives. And underneath it all, um, by the time my son was two, I was bitterly unhappy. I remember speaking to you and it would be a Friday and I'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm just making Shabbat dinner. And I was like, do it every week. Don't you want a break? And you're like, no, he, he likes to have the whole thing every week. And like, you know, we're not religious. So sometimes I don't make Friday night dinner because yeah. it's just not in my schedule that week or whatever. We bring the family together, but you know, sometimes I just don't make all the things. And I remember speaking to you and like every week. You were like, yeah, I'm just standing here making my pukha, mm -hmm. which is the... I used to... Yeah. <laughs> I used to, on a Friday, I would uh, wake up early, quickly go ride my horse, and then like rush home so that I could be in the kitchen by half past nine, ten at the latest, yeah. so that I could bake challah and make all the dips and like do a three-course meal, and I would literally be in the kitchen the whole Friday. Yeah, I remember. Every single Every Friday. week, every week, I and that was something that really started eating away at me because it wasn't like I was cooking all day and then we were having this beautiful family meal where everybody was happy and, and enjoying each other's company. It was normally him, his father, and often his brother all speaking very fast slang type of Hebrew to each other, which I couldn't understand even though I could speak Hebrew, and me. Like that was it. And I never got a thank you for the meal, was never showing any appreciation for all the effort I put in. And, you know, so that was like one of the things that started being like a little bit of a warning signal to me. So, yeah, like I can remember getting to the point where I would wake up in the morning and I just felt dead inside. I felt dead and empty inside. And 
I would think to myself, is this it? Is this my life now? Mm-hmm. And um, there had been some incidences prior to that where we had some big fights. And because of my experience as a child with my parents fighting, I always swore to myself that I would not, under any circumstances, put my child through that. And so there was one occasion in particular where he kept on prodding at me and prodding at me and pushed my buttons so badly that I flipped and I lost it and I started shouting. And immediately I was just overcome with guilt. And I was like, how could I do that? I swore that I would never do that. And um, so there were these couple of incidences and I told him that I wanted to get divorced. And his reaction to that was very dismissive and very patronizing. And he just brushed it off and ignored me. And the result of that over, probably over the course of a year was that I just started to retreat deeper and deeper into myself. I would never speak up when I disagreed with something. I would never say that I was unhappy because I didn't want to be in that marriage where you're always fighting. So I just made myself very silent. And of course, that just, that was what started killing my soul and making me so unhappy. And the irony is, in sacred union, in a, in a union where both people respect each other, if one person says, I'm not happy, like if I was to say to Daniel, I want to get divorced, he, he would be devastated. But mm. your ex's response to that was, eh, whatever, she'll be fine. Yeah. We'll just brush it over. Yeah. So there's no mutual respect or understanding or love or how can I make her happy? Yeah. That's, that would be yeah. sacred union. You know, there were all of these like glaringly obvious signals of the fact that I was in an emotionally abusive relationship and that it was very manipulative and that I was being gaslighted all the time. And anybody who has experienced gaslighting knows that it makes you start to feel like you are losing your mind. Mm -hmm. And so I started blaming everything on myself. I was like, there's something wrong with me. I must be broken inside because I've been unhappy pretty much my whole life anyway. So I'm now unhappy in this perfect marriage. Of course, it's not his fault. It It must must be me. Yeah, I must be broken. And so I was in this situation where I thought that I was stuck and this was it and this was my life because he had told me that he would never let me go. And that if I were to ever try to leave, he would take my son away from me. And so I just came to this place of like desolate acceptance that this this is my life now. And I've just got to make my peace with it. And the result of that was that I started having an affair. (laughs) Big fucking surprise. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not... I'm not, and you know, I even like as I'm about to say this, I don't even want to say it because I know exactly what you're going to say. No, we'll open it up. I'm not that type of person who cheats, you know. Um, But what a beautiful lesson for me to learn and perhaps to open other people's eyes to is that sure, okay, you get people who just like to cheat for whatever reason, but a lot of the time, the reason for infidelity is something there's something underlying it you know people don't just go out and cheat for no reason Mm. and um and I can remember hating myself like as I started this affair I was like what am I doing this is not me and and I hated myself for it but I couldn't stop 
And it was only much later that I was actually able to see that subconsciously I knew that that was my only way out of the marriage, that he would never let me go any other way than me hurting his ego enough to keep Right, him. and it's such an ego thing, right? That yeah. Because and all, and all the community around him, you know, that there wouldn't be any understanding of, no. of where this came from for me it would be like she cheated on him he gave her everything yeah you know and that would have been the narrative yeah and and again at the time I had no conscious understanding of this it was only later on that I saw subconsciously it was just my desperate attempt to get myself out of a really bad situation that was killing my soul and yeah so I had an affair lasted for nine months before he actually caught me and then our marriage imploded overnight. No discussion, no willingness from his side to sort it out. Like I begged him to go for therapy. I, I was like, we can still fix this. I still love you. Let's sort it out. Um, and he was not interested at all. And, um, and that started my journey of self-discovery and of starting to heal the trauma from my childhood, the trauma of being in an abusive relationship for nine years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's through that journey of discovering myself and healing myself that I've now finally been able to come into a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started going for therapy after we separated, which was a huge thing for me because up until that point in my life, I'd never been able to speak about how I feel about my emotions, about what's going on in my head. And it, it wasn't just a reluctance to do so. It was an actual physical impossibility for me to open my mouth and say what was in my mind. Wow. So just going for therapy was a really big thing for me. And I can remember so clearly, I've been going to my therapist for about six months before he finally said to me, but do you yet realized that you were in an abusive relationship and I can remember laughing and I was like don't be ridiculous I fucked this up I had an affair I'm broken I was unhappy even though everything was perfect this is all my fault and I and I left that session thinking like how how can he say that about him he he was wonderful it was all me and then sort of like over the course of the next week or two, it suddenly started to dawn on me that he was right. And that I'd, I'd built this whole illusion in my mind where everything was my fault and he was perfect and I fucked it up. And so just coming to terms with the fact that I had been in an abusive relationship was difficult in itself. Mm-hmm. It's like that, that realization when it hits you that you have been abused is, it's hard. Like yeah, but on the flip side, in itself, that enabled you to to start building yourself up to a point of self love because you were no longer blaming yourself. You were like, ah, oh. because then I was able to forgive myself for what I exactly. did, and to actually get to the point where I can thank myself for the fact that I had an affair. Because if I hadn't, mm. I might still be in that situation. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But and that's so important because forgiveness is such a huge part of self-love. We don't we don't reach that place of self-love unless we forgive ourselves. And yeah, it's um there's this I, I don't know if we've discussed it or if you've ever done it. But there's this really powerful Hawaiian forgiveness ritual which we do yeah. on the uh, the academy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Helen Verna, yeah. And um, so important to, um, to have that opportunity to release any guilt we hold around ourselves. It's just impossible to move into a place of self-love unless you can forgive the things yeah. that you thought were wrong with yourself or things that you thought you did wrong or even things you did do wrong because we can't go back. You know, there's no point castigating ourselves for our whole lives. It, it serves nothing. Um, but I think, I think that is, in, in my own journey, that is one of the most empowering things that I've done is to, to start to be more gentle with myself and forgive myself and to understand that even the, the quote unquote wrong things that I do, mm. I do for a reason because of what I've experienced in my life. Right. Instead of constantly blaming myself and, and, you know, that internal dialogue of saying, well, I deserve this or I don't deserve better or whatever the case may be. And I think so many people are walking around with that exact same internal dialogue playing on a loop, not even conscious of what it's doing and how it informs their decisions in their everyday life. Right. Just, and that's yeah. the, but I'm not unhappy camp, you know, but I'm not unhappy. Yeah. But what's um, interesting for me, what, what I have been um, grappling with over the last few months, been a kind of new thing for me is this idea that trauma serves us in some mm. way, you know, and I've really been, I mean, I've always known um, on a subconscious and conscious level that my own struggles with my health and everything from a childhood were for a purpose to lead me to what I do today, mm. which is why I'm so grateful for them. But I never really acknowledged the idea that actually trauma is helpful for us because I, I did a post on, on Facebook recently saying if we shield our children from trauma, we don't give them the opportunity to heal because, yeah. and then you'd think, well, if they didn't have trauma, they wouldn't need to heal, but we do because we don't elevate to any kind of next level of consciousness unless trauma we heal from something. That right. expands your consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Or at least that is what it should be. It's, it's the choice. You know, you, you can experience trauma and choose to never heal it and become mm. bitter yeah. and contracted. Or you can choose to let the trauma be that catalyst that really expands you into the fullness of who you are meant to be. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It, it? It's, And even if, as our children are growing, they're experiencing trauma here and there, it's informed trauma. So we're explaining to them as they go along exactly. how to manage it, how to yeah. express it. And that's the difference. Yeah. So we don't want them to hurt in the way that we hurt you know but if there are traumas we're going to enable them the opportunity to process them effectively so it's the the effective processing of trauma that creates this and this opportunity for healing also really important to note that everybody experiences trauma yeah and there are small traumas and there are big traumas right but the point is that trauma is not so much the actual events that happened, it's how it affected you. Exactly. Because um, just speaking from my own personal experience, um, after we had separated, that was the start of a whole nother journey because mm. then there was the whole divorce process, which was also very abusive and now in a much more aggressive and out there way as opposed to the very quiet and manipulative way that it was before. 
And uh, and that's where the financial abuse that I mentioned comes in. Mm. And that was traumatic in a whole other way and being threatened with having my child taken away from me, uh, being called, being accused of being a prostitute and, um, you know, being accused of doing drugs all the time and, you know, like really having my character broken down in our community. And, you know, so that, that was all traumatic. And then going to court to defend myself and say, hey, actually, I'm not a hoe. And, you know, I'm working, I'm earning money, I'm a good mom, please don't take my child away from me. That was very traumatic as well. And what happened after that, um, as you know, was I developed um, chronic fatigue syndrome. And, you know, did all sorts of blood tests, couldn't figure out what was wrong. You know, I was worried that maybe it was like an Epstein-Barr virus, or my mother had had um, what was then called yuppie flu when I was um, young. I think now it's called mm, myoencephalitis. I don't know. You probably know more about that than me. Um, but yeah, when I was little, they termed it yuppie flu because doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And so I got worried that maybe it was a, a hereditary thing that I'd picked up from my mom. Anyway, couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, did all sorts of tests. And eventually my doctor said to me, okay, we've done the test, your bloods are fine, nothing is wrong with you physically. So it's time that you face the fact that you have a complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And again, just like when he told me I was in an abusive relationship, I laughed. I was like, don't be silly. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I've, I haven't been through a war. I've never been raped. I've never been attacked. I haven't experienced trauma. Why would I have PTSD, that doesn't make any sense. And then that started a journey of me looking deeper into what trauma really is and what complex trauma is and how that affects your nervous system and how that you know puts you into this um, dorsal vagal reflex where your whole body just shuts down, which is why um, I had the chronic fatigue. And yeah, so just to note to people, because I think sometimes people hear, hear us talking about trauma and they think, oh, like you must have been sexually abused as a child. Mm -hmm. or, you know, you must have lived in a country where there was a war. And yes, of course, those are big traumas that a lot of people do experience. But even just in our, our normal lives where everything is sort of okay, you can still experience trauma mm -hmm. as a child. Yeah. And it's, it's less about what actually happened and more about how that change the way that you see the world and relate to the world and see yourself and relate to yourself yeah absolutely that's why i talk about big t and little t traumas although i see what you went through as a big t trauma it's not you know the little t traumas is more the not being heard or validated as a kid and the getting lost in a supermarket and no one really validating that that affected you like those are the little t traumas what you went through was still a big trauma Yes, and this um, is after the thing. Process, I came to acceptance that I had been yeah. through big trauma in my life. Yeah, and and occasions. <laughs> yeah, and you know this is the thing, and I say this to people a lot: your trauma is no less valid because someone else has a bigger trauma. That is such a big one, because I I used to, you know, when I had this illness and I was struggling to just get through the day. I mean, I was. I used to have to take like three, four naps during the day. I was sleeping 10 hours at night. I was struggling to work. I was struggling to look after myself, to look after my son. I was really not coping. And it was very scary. Thankfully, it only lasted four months because I was able to heal myself with natural and alternative methods. Um, but while I was in it, the prognosis is you're stuck with it for the rest of your life. Mm. 
you know, that, that's Western medicine's right. prognosis. Right, because they don't look at it from the root cause. Yeah. So how can you it, heal something if you don't know the root cause? So thankfully it only lasted four months and, and now it seems like, you know, a small thing that happened back then. But while I was in it, it was incredibly scary and I thought that I was going to be debilitated like this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I can remember sitting there and thinking, oh, okay, fine, I experienced some some trauma, but it's still not as bad as so-and-so. <laughs> exactly yeah. and that of course doesn't help because the only way through it and you know my therapist really pushed me through this he that the the only way I could get through this chronic fatigue and through this PTSD was through acceptance mm-hmm. accepting that this is what is so when you're saying oh but it's not as bad as you're not accepting it yeah you're still sort of like shifting the blame it's that conditioning, isn't it? Of let's brush it under the carpet. Let's move on. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. So how then do you go from that to sacred union? And even that had its ups and downs and your doubts and you still not trusting yourself. Oh, that's such a good point that you just brought up. Is, you know, after having been in an abusive relationship, you don't, you no longer trust yourself to choose well. Mm. And especially when the patterns keep on playing out and repeating. So what happened was, um, you know, when I started dating again, it was like I kept on picking the same man over and over again. And I kept on finding myself in these situations where, um, you know, there, were, there was some narcissistic abuse and manipulation. And, and, and then, of course, you bring it back to, but what's wrong with me? Why do I keep on doing this? <laughs> And the truth is, it is you doing it. You keep on picking that same thing because it feels so familiar and therefore it feels like love. And um, Which is an important point to note for a moment because we said that before, but I love them. Let's just pause there for a moment because so many women do this and I've seen it with friends, you know, in horrific... I mean, literally, I had a friend who was in a relationship. I've never seen such a... We were like, this guy must be leading a double life. Like, that's how bad it was. And, you know, I'm not going to go into it, but it, and we'd go, why are you saying, because I love him. Yeah. And one of the most profound and important lessons my mum has ever given me is love isn't always enough. Mm. And God, I stand by that. I so stand by that because, you know, unless you, love is enough if it's sacred love. If it's love from, because that's not love. Someone cheating on you and so understanding that um, what we perceive as love, what we've been taught is love that, you know, the Disney version of love. Right. We get indoctrinated to is not even love. No, this is what I mean, because it's acceptance for who you are. Love is an acceptance for who you are, how you come to the relationship as your true authentic self. Mm-hmm. And in these situations of, you know, these, these guy, girls as well, you know, women as well. But in this situation that I'm thinking of this, this guy that has spent the whole relationship lying to her has never really shown her who he is, except he has through his actions, mm. just, you know, never getting to the bottom of never feeling safe or secure in the relationship. That's not love. So to go, but I love him. No, you don't because you don't know him and you can't love someone unless you yeah. know them. So for all the women yeah. listening to this that are like, 
you know, it's not great. And it could be, but I love him. No, you don't. And that's your biggest lesson. And this is the, right, that's codependency. And that comes from a wounded inner child. And this is the, you know, be cool to be kind thing from us right now is no, you don't. That's not love. So how can you switch that thought off? Because you are choosing that thought as well. You're Mm -hmm. choosing to continue telling yourself this, this information on a loop, but I love him, but I love him because it keeps you safe in this pattern. Like you said, it's what you recognize. So it feels like love. So how Mm -hmm. can you break that down, relate it back to your childhood, check in with your inner child, with the little girl inside you. So what did I experience as a child that has led me to believe that this is acceptable? Exactly. And from that we break it down. Experience in, in your childhood in in your family home, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's outright abuse or whether it's just, you know, parents who who are just doing their best, but don't really have the tools. Mm. You develop this concept of what you think love is. Mm. So if there was something unhealthy in your childhood surrounding love, you go out into the world as an adult thinking this is love. So you get into this unhealthy relationship and you go, oh, there it is. This is love. Right. When actually, no, this is recognizable. You already experienced before. Right. And that's how we carry it on the loop and we continue it, not just in this life, but until we break those habits, we continue them in every life we come back with. And we're never going to elevate to that that point of spiritual evolution where we break that pattern because that's what we keep coming back for to learn these lessons. And interestingly, with my own situation, I do, I'm so grateful for my journey. I feel like I've always been so intuitively guided and, and my guides have been with me. Yeah. because I, I love my dad. I, you know, he's, he's brilliant. And anyone who's met him, you know, loves him. He's great. He's suffered a lot of trauma. You know, he was the oldest son of 10 children and he brought his whole family over from Morocco, you know, to Israel, got them all on a ship, the siblings, the aunties, the uncles, you know, all of them worked three jobs because his father wasn't well enough to work when they got there, went into the army with front lines, artillery soldier, and, you know, three of the major Israeli wars in the sixties. Like he has had trauma, not that he would recognize it. And not that my mum was even able to really recognize until I said to her, well, that's why he is the way she, he is. And yeah. she's like, Oh yeah. You know? So my dad had his, you know, it wasn't the most present father or, husband wasn't a good it still isn't a good communicator he's got a great heart and you know I I adore him. he was always you know sitting there on my bedside when I was crying in pain like holding my hand what can I do what can I do but um and you know my dad you know his heart you know but he had no ability to really express love truly and he always loved my mum, but he he's not able to really you know get to it in, in that way to show it in that way and give her what she needs like what's her love language he wouldn't know he doesn't know you know that he's 77 now he's never going to change but I was able to recognize that and my mum did I I think help me she was like you know I don't want this for you I love him and we're here and we're in this marriage and but I want you to have someone that can communicate with you I want you to be in a situation where you have this mutual respect and understanding of one another and so she did guide that like she was one of those guides still is um but I had that in myself. I was like, no, I love my dad. And I, 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 I don't have any resentment towards my dad, where I think my sister does a little bit, um, because I understand his trauma. I can connect to his trauma. And I've done a lot of ancestral healing surrounding his trauma and his family's trauma as well. Yeah. So I was able to take that from a very objective place and go, I understand him. I love him. I respect him. But I don't want that for me. 
So I was able to then choose a partner. I was able to break that pattern before, before I kind of started it, you know, um, where in a lot of cases, it's like with alcohol, you know, children who grow up in, in alcohol with alcoholic parents, they go one way or the other. They either become alcoholics themselves or they never want to have a drink because it's such trauma. Yeah, well, I think, you know, everything that you just spoke about comes down to becoming consciously aware right. of what is driving things in in yourself and in the, the people that you related to growing up or currently. Mm -hmm. And it's that conscious awareness that allows you to choose differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why you often hear the joke about daddy issues. Right. Because women unconsciously choose a partner who's exactly the same as their father. Yeah. Because they haven't been become consciously aware of everything yeah. that's okay. Yeah. And I think it's truly about looking at your parents without judgment, understanding what their upbringing was, what their trauma is, not judging them, but being able to say, well, what parts of that can I, can I heal in myself? What parts of that can I look at and say, that's not right for me and I don't want that. So I'm mm. going to break that pattern. Yeah. I think it's really healthy to do that. Like if your parents have got a really unhealthy relationship with money, looking at that and going, how can I heal that in myself? If if your your father is someone who doesn't communicate or does you know or there's a lot of shouting or when I moved in with Daniel and I, you know what Moroccans are like you, <laughs> there is no talking it's all shouting yeah. when I moved in with Daniel I said to him there is no shouting in this house this is not going to be a shouty house like even now I walk into my parents' house and I'm like why are you shouting at me and my dad goes I'm not shouting it's the way what I talk. <laughs> and now my mom yeah. even says that because she's had to learn how to shout to be heard over him <laughs> you know? yeah I mean I remember after those Shabbat dinners like sometimes it would get so heated <laughs> that afterwards I would say to him like is everything okay what were you guys fighting about it's so true and then imagine like 40 of them all in one room which is what often yeah. happened in Israel in our dinners you know and it's just yeah yeah it's crazy and listen I have very amazing rich memories from that but I never wanted the shouting and I don't want, listen, I'm, that's not to say I don't ever shout because sometimes I lose it and I do. And, you know, I, that's what I do. right. And, um, but I would, I, I do believe that even though I, I shout occasionally, I don't think my kids will ever grow up and go, my mom shouted a lot or it was a really shouty household. Yeah. You know? That's something that I have also really cultivated in my home. Um, you know, since we separated, I still live in the same home that we lived in together as a married couple and my son has grown up here and I've really put a lot of effort into really making this my home and like mm -hmm. infusing my energy into it. Mm -hmm. And something that everybody who comes to my home always comments on how peaceful it feels. Mm -hmm. And that's not accidental. That's something that I've cultivated here. Yeah. And, you it's know, like a I lot of sage. Yeah. <laughs> I I want that peaceful environment, not just for myself, but for my son and for my now partner, Wesley, that when we come home, it feels safe and it feels calm and it's rejuvenating. And, you know, like um, my son will comment on how our home is so calm and quiet and peaceful. And at his father's house, it's very loud and frenetic. Right. You know, because that is the Israeli culture. So you know, that's something that you and I have both consciously chosen yeah. to make our home. And again, it all comes down to that consciousness, like 
being consciously aware of what you're doing, consciously aware of your choices, choosing, okay, this is the type of home that I want. This is the type of relationship that I want. And by consciously choosing, you're able to look at, so when I do shout, I'm aware that I shouted. Yeah. And I take a step back and I try not to judge myself. But that's being conscious. When you're always shouting, it's just you're kind of not conscious. You don't even and then you go, oh, I shouted. So how can I do better next time? Yeah. Because I never never listened to my mom and my dad when they shouted at me. Like, it's just, you know? Yeah. And I actually remember watching a, an interview with Will Smith and his kids and one of his kids going, dad never, ever shouted. Like, never. To the point that he once raised his voice. Once. I remember him doing it. And we knew we were in trouble, mm. right? And I, I, I'm like, I always think of that when I shout and I think that's my goal for my yeah. kids to grow up and go, my mum never shouted. She just, we just yeah. knew when she meant business, but, you know, yeah. in a conscious way. But let's go to Wesley because we're going to run out of time. So you just mentioned him, the lovely Wes. So, yeah. so you know, because I want to talk about sacred union because this is where we're both at right now in our relationships. And we talk about it a lot. And we talk about the connection and, you know, this, this real love and, but the work it takes to get there. Yeah. So, so for me personally, what was a massive catalyst for me was my brother's death. Um, you know, my, my brother committed suicide um, 18 months after my ex-husband and I had separated. So I was sort of just coming out of the space of, you know, the, the, the trauma of the separation, like finding my feet again, working and studying at the same time and building my own life. And I was just sort of coming to this place of like, okay, I'm okay. I can breathe. And then I lost my brother. And obviously that was a, a huge traumatic event for me. And at the time I was, um, I was dating a man who I was madly in love with. And there had been discussions of us having a future together. It was still very fresh and new. It was just a couple of months. It wasn't a long-term relationship, but there had been all these promises of the future. And then he broke up with me six weeks after my brother died. And that was like a trauma on top of a trauma. On top of a trauma. (laughs) Yeah. And I just felt so abandoned. You know, I just lost my brother. Um, I was on my own. I had no male supports in my life and then got abandoned by the the man that I was so in love with as well and what that drove me to do was to make a decision to be celibate for a while and so I was celibate for a full year and I really just used that time to focus 100% on myself obviously um, dealing with my grief which was a major thing but also just really getting to know myself and healing you know obviously losing my brother was devastating for me and if I had a choice I would rather have my brother back with me now but I've come to the place where I'm actually grateful for that experience of losing him because it was such a catalyst in so many different ways and it was through having to move through this grief of losing my brother I was able to start addressing all the stuff from my childhood and all the stuff from my marriage and, and able to go through this incredible exponential healing process. And um, that's why I always, like whenever friends ask me, I always advise that if you've never been single and you keep on jumping from relationship to relationship and it's always the same pattern and it never works out and you just can't figure it out, please, dear God, be single. 
And Who I else, don't how are you going to know yourself? And dating and like going out every night and sleeping no. with this one and that one. I have absolutely no issue with that. I will never call anybody a slut. You can sleep with this. No, we've reclaimed that word. We've reclaimed yeah. that word. Um, so it's not about that. It's not about not being promiscuous. Go be promiscuous. Yeah. But also at some point in your life, take time to really just be with yourself without distracting yourself with that sensation of falling in love mm. because it's addictive and the chase That's as well the chasing yeah exactly and we get so addictive to that addicted to that um that chase where you know when when guys as they so often do these days play this game and it's hard to get and the you know the messaging and then they're not messaging and it's addictive because yeah. you feel like you have to catch him right and, um and, and that's that, why what you did making that conscious decision to be celibate was the best thing you ever did because actually that was a that wasn't like I'll date and whoever comes you know I'm just not going to think about it but whoever comes and if they come along they come along no that's different to actually making a conscious decision to be with yourself to yes. sit in the uncomfortable silence yes. and listen for the answers and get to know who am I at my core? Because I cannot choose the partner that is right for me until I truly know who I am. So you doing that, you were like, let me heal myself and let me know myself for a full year. And, you know, when I came out of that and, you know, like I, I broke my celibacy with um, a silly one night stand. It wasn't like I now, you know, <laughs> yeah. an amazing night. I was just like, oh my God, I haven't had sex for a year. <laughs> Who can I find? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it wasn't like some profound immediate change, but. I kind of like that though, because you're not like, there's no false pretenses. It wasn't perfect. Like we're not trying to, yeah. we're not aiming for perfection. We're just aiming to be in a state of healing and understanding of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, I knew that I sort of like, it, it literally got to a year mark and I knew that I needed to now just sort of like break it because I was in danger of becoming a full-on hermit and never re-emerging into society <laughs> you know, after all of the grief and everything. So, but, but what happened after that is that when I started dating again, it was completely different mm. night and day. Because your you energy know, had changed. Yeah. Prior to that, I mean, by this time I was mm, 33, 32. Prior to that, every relationship I'd ever been in, I was always trying to prove myself. I was always trying to earn love. I was always trying to show that I'm worthy. I was always trying to show how perfect I am. Look at me. I'm so sexy. I'm so good in bed and I can cook and I can do this for you and I can do this for you. Look how perfect I can be for you. Instead of me sitting back and going, well, what do I want? Right. And that was what changed. Instead of me always being like, please love me, please love me. Look how perfect right. I am. Suddenly I went, I actually don't give a fuck what you think about me. This is what I want. Yeah. What can you offer me? Right. Yes. Yeah. Queen. And I've seen that in you in the videos you do now without makeup on, because you actually don't need makeup and anyone listening to this and you're, you're not seeing her face you, you can go on Instagram and see that rain is very very beautiful um but you it was that attaining the perfection you know if I'm perfect people will love me and now you do these videos with no makeup you don't care what you look you're like because you know yourself so deeply you've had such profound experiences in your healing and in your spiritual growth mm -hmm. that you don't feel that need for accept for outside external yeah. acceptance 
that's not where where my worth lies exactly yeah and um so coming out of that celibacy i um i briefly dated um I don't know if it even really counts as dating. It was just like sort of very brief interactions with two different men who were both really lovely, um, but it just didn't work out. And and what was so freeing for me was that for the first time in my life, when it didn't work out, I wasn't heartbroken by it. I wasn't sitting there going, but why didn't he want me? And what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What did did I do wrong? And sitting there like analyzing every little thing and I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Instead, it was I with both of them. I thanked them. I said, thank you so much for this interaction. I really enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you for giving me your time. Have a nice life. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't this whole like angst yeah. and feeling like I'd lost something, even though it was just a brief thing, um, which is what it had always previously been. I I always used to like throw myself into love and I am like, I'm such a romantic and I still am. That hasn't changed, but I was just going about it the wrong way. Mm. And so it was those two like brief, um, brief interactions that didn't work out, but it was so empowering for me to feel that, to be like, oh, okay, I can, I can um, spend some time with somebody and really like them. And then we decide that it's not working out and, and we go our separate ways. And yeah. that's that. It doesn't have to be hurtful. It doesn't have to be nasty. And then um, after those experiences, I decided that I was ready for real love. Um, because I think up until then, I'd sort of, I'd had this idea in my mind that I would forever be single, that I would date men and that obviously I would have lots of sex not talking about being celibate, but that I would never like settle down and commit to somebody again, because, you know, I still had that mistrust of my own judgment to choose a partner. And I had this mistrust of men always leaving me. And so I got to this point where I was like, actually, you know what, I want somebody to share my life with. I'm done with this thing where I'm a single mom and like in the background on the side, completely separate. I date some people. Mm. I was like, I actually want a real relationship. Mm. And so I know that this sounds so cliched, but it works. I sat down and I made a list, a very detailed, long list of what I want in a partner. Mm. But like super detailed. I left nothing out. And I think it's also important to note here, as I talk about this, you know, sometimes people like make the list and be like, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and he must be perfect. Mm. Are you bringing those same things to the relationship as well? Yes. Because I think that that's why it worked for me. I had worked on myself to the point where I was like, this is what I bring to the relationship, and therefore, I expect the same in return. Yes. And I made this list, and I kid you not, Two weeks later, to the day, I met Wesley. (laughs) Because that's what manifestation is for anyone listening now. Like, I talk about this, I think it's episode 53, I think, episode on manifestation. It's about resonance. So manifestation isn't, I'm going to write a list, I'm going to put it onto my pillow, I'm going to go to sleep and put it down, (laughs) I'm going to show up the next day, yay! No, 
You've got to heal that shit first. You've got to go back and heal your inner child. Writing the list. Every wound that exists within you, you have to heal until those things that are truly in resonance with what you want can show up in that way. You might attract other things and they might look kind of okay, but are they really what you want? Everything has that level of healing that you did. And mine's been so different because I have healed well-being with Daniel. So it's been a really different journey, you know? Um, And luckily we are at the place where we are very much in alignment and in resonance with each other because he's gone and done the work as well. You know, ta-da, you know, it's not like the biggest revelation that you both need to be working on yourselves (laughs) yeah thank god (laughs) but that and that's manifestation so what is different now why is this sacred union because he is a conscious man right and what's what's been so beautiful about our relationship is that through all the work that i've done on myself I was able to step into my divine feminine power. Right. And through holding that space in our relationship, I invited him to step into his divine masculine power. Yeah. Because he had not done that yet when we met. And we actually, we dated for about a year, I think it was. And then we broke up because something was a little bit off for me like he wasn't there enough like he wasn't solid and steady enough for me and he started talking about us moving in together and you know what about marriage do you want to have another child and I was still at that point in time I was in the frame of mind of absolutely fucking not because I, I remember having this conversation with you as well buddy. I was like <laughs> we are never going to live together we can be together but we're not going to live together Mm. I'm not getting married again and I'm not having another child Mm. and so we broke up and um you know that was really really painful for him Mm. um and it was painful for me from the point of I I did love him and I didn't want to hurt him and I could see that I was hurting him um but I felt that I'd made the right decision And um, then he just went through this incredible, beautiful process Mm. because of our breakup where he stepped up to the plate. You know, instead of becoming bitter and saying, oh, she broke my heart Mm. or like going off and drinking or partying or sleeping with other women to try and get over it. He's not that type of man. So he wouldn't have done that anyway. He would have just, ridden his bicycle for eight hours a day (laughs) trained harder at the gym um but I'm just saying that's what a a lot of that's a pattern that a lot of people Mm. have but instead of running away instead of trying to put a plaster on the problem he really stepped up to the plate Mm. and you know not to toot my own horn but because of the example that I'd showed him of how to be a conscious human being and you can toot your own horn you have every right to toot your own horn you've done the work yeah he was able to do that then for himself on his own separately from me you know without me holding his hand because that was an aspect of the relationship Uh, I just hit the nail on the head now in my mind (laughs) aspect of the relationship that wasn't resonating for me is that to a certain degree I felt like I was mothering him a little bit Mm. 
and you know being a single mom I was like I don't want to have to mother my partner as well yeah and that was very interesting because that was an aspect that previously in relationships I always enjoyed and wanted I wanted that role I wanted to be able to help the hurt little birdie or you know like break through the hard exterior and bring out yeah you know (laughs) so I had always wanted that and then I got it with somebody who was very willing and wanted to learn and then all of a sudden I was like "Mm, no this isn't working for me (laughs) you need to be a little bit more masculine (laughs) and so he went through this incredible process while we were broken up where he just stepped up to the plates and he he started addressing his childhood stuff and um, he went through this fucking transformation. Like, I can't even explain to you. I will never forget. Um, he came to my house. So we were still talking to each other. Like, you know, it wasn't an ugly breakup. We were still talking to each other. I was still like checking in on him to make sure he's okay. I was asking friends to check on him. And um, I remember he he came to my house to fetch some things and he he like he just looked so sad and, and brokenhearted and I felt so bad and I was so worried about him and he went home to Cape Town to spend some time with his family um because we live in Joburg and he went to Cape Town for two weeks so I'd seen him just before he went to Cape Town and he looked so sad and brokenhearted and you know I just wanted to hug him and I wanted to make him feel better but that wasn't attractive to me anymore and then um, he came back from Cape Town and he said, I, I have something for you. Uh, can I come drop it off? So I said, cool, no problem. And he came to my front door and I opened the door and like the door was halfway open and it was like his energy hit me. And it was this like strong, steady, rooted, masculine energy that just made me weak at the knees and like immediately made me want to take my clothes off. (laughs) So, you know, like that's the power of energy and of that internal work that cannot be seen externally, but changes everything. Right. You know, and can't always be explained in words, but you know, I I opened the door and I was just like, Oh my God, you're sexy. I didn't say it out loud, but I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I made such a big mistake. Why did I break up with him? <laughs> and um, and then after that, we just sort of started chatting and spending a bit of time together. And um, and his process, where he stepped into his masculine power, then precipitated a change in me. Because after all these years of being a single mom and, uh, you know, working, business owner, providing for myself, being strong, looking after everybody around me, I now had this opportunity where I could soften into Mm. his support, which I had never truly had before in my life. Not from my father, not from any of my partners. And... um, So it was like a couple of weeks of us, you know, just spending a bit of time together. And then uh, we were like, okay, we we need to like have a conversation. What are we doing here? And um, we need to make a decision. Are we going to get back together or are we going to go our separate ways? And uh, so we actually decided to do a mushroom journey together. Um, And it was 
in the mushroom journey that I, <laughs> I turned into a puddle. We went for a walk. We went for a walk in a bird sanctuary close by. And while we were walking, the mushrooms came on and I turned into a puddle and I, he was walking behind me and I was walking in front. And I can remember thinking, it's okay. I can't turn into a puddle because he's going to pick me up drop by drop and carry me home. <gasps> wow. And it was the first time in my life that I'd ever felt that safe. Wow. You know, like I spoke previously about how when I, when I got into the relationship with my ex-husband, I, I felt safe because there was money. Right. This was on a completely different oh, level. Like God, this in the was a of safety that I never experienced before, where I just knew he had, like, I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, I am. I, I knew that he had my back. And it was so symbolically appropriate that he was walking behind me. Mm. And I just knew that no matter what happened, he would carry me home. He didn't have to carry me home. I did walk home. <laughs> In my metaphorical puddle state. And, um, and so after our, our journey, it was like everything had just shifted in our relationship. The whole energetic dynamic had changed. Mm. And that still left questions, you know, about marriage and kids and all of that. And, um, but the conclusion that we came to is that this is too good to walk away from like what we have together mm. is far too beautiful to walk away from and mm -hmm. um, so we made the decision that we would get back together and that in two years time we would see where we were both at with the the children question and mm -hmm. um, because you know having gone through that whole process where I finally felt safe it sort of opened up my mind to the possibility of maybe I can have another baby whereas before I think it had been a lot of it there are very many different reasons why I decided yes. yeah. one child and um, ethical, moral, personal, there's a whole lot. But one of the things was this um, protective mechanism of, you know, mm -hmm. I already, I had a child in an abusive relationship already. The, the separation, the divorce was traumatic. I'm now responsible for a child. Like, you know, let me just not do this again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that just um, opened my mind to the possibility that maybe at some point I would be ready again and yeah so then we got back together and I was still not ready to live together I was like I'm still not ready for us to move in together but I'm, I might be ready soon you know and then like, China I'm, gave you a little oh, gift I'm open to the idea now <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think about six weeks later that South Africa went into lockdown um, because of corona and uh, it was announced that we would have a three-week lockdown and so he he was at the time living in an apartment and um, pretty close to me and you know I just said to him well obviously we're going to do lockdown together you know like you'll come stay here with me and my son I didn't want to be alone with my son I didn't feel safe so we're like cool he'll come he'll come stay here during lockdown and then lockdown was extended it became five weeks and um and then he just never left <laughs> and we landed up living together without even choosing to do so and it's just um it's just unfold from there it's just like grown and grown and grown and like deepened and deepened and deepened mm. into this beautiful union and partnership where we each hold space for each other to right. to discover more of ourselves to heal more of ourselves and to step into the the, the fullness of our being 
Yeah. And, um, you know, it's with the recognition that we're not dependent on each other. We, we are each a separate individual person who is valid and full and whole on their own. And we're in partnership. We're choosing to live our lives together. Yeah. And that's very different from being in a relationship where you have that feeling of like, oh my God, I love him so much. I'm going to die without him. Yeah. Or the, or the, the I'm fine. The it's fine. Yeah. And this <laughs> like, is how life is. And, and this, yeah, it's fine. He'll do. And this yeah. is just how life is. And this is what we do. And I don't want to break up because it won't be good for the kids. Even, you know, I won't even go into, I actually spoke about this in depth on my episode about relationships um like what what makes a healthy relationship I did a rise episode about it but I think what um what I take away from this is that he stepped in to his highest expression of divine masculine yeah absolutely and and at that point you know a, a, a man in his healthy masculine it becomes generative you know and that's what it's about it's you know the masculine cultivates its ability to make change and to listen to the feminine because the feminine is the intuition mm. right the man is the doing the woman is the being uh, or let's not say the man and the woman the masculine is the doing and the woman the, the feminine is the being yeah. and and so a, a man who can listen to a woman who is very much rooted in her divine feminine and her healthy divine feminine and listen to the lessons there and look at the healing and acknowledge the, the, the healing that's been done and look at a woman like that and go, ah, right, I see you. I, I fucking see you yeah. and I see this. And I'm not going to go away and send you a bunch of roses or buy you some lingerie. I'm going to go away and I'm going to fucking do the work. Yeah, I'm going to step up. That yeah, that, but that's stepping up. That's what I mean. Stepping up isn't sending you a bunch of roses. Do you know what I mean? And then stepping into his role as divine masculine, mm -hmm. which is the provider of the love, the provider. Mm -hmm. He he generates it. He can give the love, and then the woman takes the love and creates it, and creates from it, and nurtures yeah. from it. And right. so the woman is the creator, and from there, that's where you have sacred union. Mm. Yeah, so what you just described, like as you're describing it, I'm seeing again, like um, actually in, in my online course, I spoke about this um, and I drew this diagram of how I see it as this battery effect. So, you know, when, when a woman steps into her divine feminine, she invites the masculine to step mm -hmm. up. And when he does... It allows her to soften even more deeply into exactly. her divine feminine. And the more yes. she does that, the more he can step up into his divine masculine. So, so it's true. just like this constant effect where you're feeding each other. Yeah. Because yeah. women, even women I see or women I work with who are single and have been single for a long time, and they're doing the work to be more in that. Because when you, you're a woman who's been on your own for a long time, you make your own money, you're very much in your masculine and it's very unbalanced in that way because money is a masculine energy and they have to be in that way in order to survive the world on their own. But the, And that's why almost it's kind of counterintuitive and more difficult to meet a man like that because you're so deeply into your masculine that there's no there in terms of then attracting a partner who's in his divine masculine because you're too masculine. So, you know, the polarity is too different. Yes. 
when you then can help each other soften into when the woman starts softening into that it's just a beautiful place to be and a beautiful thing to witness and I see it with my own relationship as well the more Daniel comes into his divine divine masculine and the more he is is kind of building and creating for us in this in this world of um of inner work the more I am really this softer being yeah. who's allowing him to worship me and, and not in a codependent I need you I need you way like there is such a balance between how we honor and have reverence for each other reverence reverence yes and but this is the thing right so and, and this is what we've come to recently like he has this reverence for me because he's seen my growth and he rejected it and you know he, it was this you know resistance to it for so long because whoa where is she going here this is too much you know this is too much growth like I was off on my journey and there was no stopping it because I was being divinely guided by it and my work my shaman is really pushing it projecting it and you know the, the strange ass things that happen as a result of that um, yeah, I was stopping it once it's <laughs> right and he was like what and there was resistance there but as soon as he stopped resisting it and he looked at me and for the first time truly saw me like mm -hmm. listen we've always had a good relationship but it's not been you know, can go as far as to say it wasn't real enough. We didn't see each other fully. I saw his heart. I always saw his heart. He has such a heart, you know, and he's such a good, good, kind, generous, caring, amazing person. But there was so much healing to do. Like, what is beneath that? Who are you, Daniel? Like, who are you? And now he knows who he is. So he was able to accept who I am because he broke down all his shadow. He had so much shadow shit that was judging me. I always felt judged by him because I'm very public obviously in mm -hmm. what I do and he had shadow around that because his you know his growth was very well his upbringing was very much about not being so public and so that was such a journey him being able to see me and go wow I see what you're doing and actually all I was focusing on was this is too public this is your personal life and this is this whereas then he was able to look at the women that I work with and go ah I'm seeing what you're actually doing out there in the world yeah. and now he has such a reverence for that and for my intuitive gifts, that he's met me there. And now he's doing the same. Like he's created a conscious men's group, for God's sake. Like he's literally. That's yeah. That's so we're like. Something that Wesley really wants to do. Oh, shame. Shame we're not in the same country. <laughs> I know. Boy. So it's like he's almost like mirroring me, but in his own way. He's doing it very authentically to him. And the yeah. more he steps into that, the more I am able to continue on my journey without feeling like I can't, without feeling judged. And now I have this honor and reverence for him as well, yeah. which I, I realized that I never truly had. I loved him. I appreciated him. I saw the good in him. But did I honor him? Did I honor all parts of him? No. And that's where we're at now. And looking at parts of ourselves and the, the challenges. That, and the, more, the thing is, the funny thing is, is that in that no man's land of I'm fine and I'm not unhappy, you're just like it's fine it is ticking over you you come home from work you be with the kids you make dinner one sits downstairs and watches tv one sits upstairs and reads and that's life for a lot of people so the irony is is that when you're doing this work it's way more challenging because the thing that the things that come up are like whoa the things you're pushed to, to recognize and to work through yeah. push you to your limits to your yeah. limits to go wow can we actually manage this can we get through this 
And then you work so hard to get through it that you get to this other point, to this, to the next level of your spiritual evolution. And it's all worth it. And it's all worth it because you're like, you know, you're just on this crazy ass journey of like these mental things happening and having to find this this alignment. And then every time you get through it again, there is you step up that level of honor and reverence for each yeah. other. You know, and like beautiful. Something that you just said now reminded me, like when you said when Daniel finally saw you that allowed you to have more honor and reverence for him and it just reminded me of the fact that um prior to Wesley and I breaking up I loved him but I wasn't in love with him and I think that's why like something just didn't feel 100% right to me because I loved him dearly and and you know I I saw the beautiful soul that he is Mm -hmm. and I, I enjoyed spending time with him but I wasn't in love with him. And it was only after he went through his process and we got back together, all of a sudden, like, it hit me. Like, I fell in love with him. Mm. Like, we'd already been together for a year. And now I was falling in love with him. Yeah. And that was such a beautiful realization for me because prior to that, always in my life, it had always been this, like, sort of fairy tale Disneyland, like, love at first sight like oh my god I'm so in love with you and this time it had been the complete opposite and when it happened I was like oh like this is this is love this is falling in love yeah not like heady rushy like oh my god I need to see you again I can't wait to see you again I can't live without you yeah there's no codependency there because you're dependent on yourself heady building to this bonfire of love right that is not so worrying. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that's where Daniel and I are as well at the moment. Like we keep saying, I'm in love with you. And yeah. I hadn't been in love with him. I always loved him. I hadn't been in love with him for a long time. And we, as you know, we're studying Tantra at the moment. And one of the Tantric exercises we do is just to sit there and look into each other's eyes. And you sit there naked yeah. and you just look at each other and you go and you, you pass energy to each other one at a time. Yeah. And you go, because I see really, you. It's really beautiful. And, and you see each other. You see into each other's souls. And, you know, that's another level of, of appreciation and, and just mm. seeing, seeing, like, when was the last time for anyone listening, you, you looked at your partner and you sat there for minutes and minutes and more minutes and just looked in their eyes and saw their soul. Because from that place, you can start healing anything that needs to be healed when you see them and you know that there is love there. Yeah. And that like sort of brings me to, um, you know, before we started, I said to Lauren, um, I don't really mind where the conversation goes. We'll just let it flow. But there are just like two points that I do want to cover. And mm. I brought the one up right in the beginning. And now the the other one that I wanted to bring up, you've led me into so beautifully and oh, perfectly. What a nice that, segue. Um, you know, I think it's really important to recognize that when you start to really have that honor and reverence for each other and to like truly deeply love each mm-hmm. other and see each other, what you're really doing is you're honoring and having reverence for source. Yes. For the universe in all of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, something that I've come to realize over the course of my journey is that the entire purpose of our existence here on earth is relationship. Not only our romantic relationships, but all relationships mm. with our family, our children, our friends, the people that we work with. Because of unity um, and stopping the separateness, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also because um, it's through the relationship that you have this mirror 
to see yourself. So true. And to heal your own wounds. And then once you've done that, the, the relationships in your life are this beautiful vehicle for you to become your true nature and your true essence, which is love. And then to pour that eternal, infinite, unconditional love that is everything, that is the universe. You become a vessel for that and pour yeah. that into the relationships in your life. I mean, literally, you just worded that so beautifully. It's so, that so resonates with me on every level. I think that's so true because we have to, you know, the, the whole, the whole, when we learn anything within spirituality, it's to come back to source in order to realize there is no separateness. You are not separate from the tree or the sea or, you know, the, the, yeah. the worms in the ground. You are, it's not you and then there's nature. You are nature. You are source. We are, there's no separateness. You know, yeah. there's just everything is source and, and that is love. Yeah. And so, like you say, quotes from Rumi is you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in one drop. And then if you do mushrooms, you're just a pud puddle. Not the then ocean. You're just a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> and we will have to do another episode on um, plant medicine and yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really planning on bringing up that subject, but I was like, well, it's it's relevant. No, but it's very relevant. And also, we're, we're both very much like exploring that side of things. And yeah. Daniel and I are about to start our psilocybin microdosing journey. Mm. Amazing. And Can't some other things in the pipeline. So let's do, we'll definitely do another episode about that and how that opens us up also to to love and to sacred union and gives us these kind of insights into what it is we're meant to be achieving yeah, that, or trying to achieve with this this you know being that we are yeah and that plant medicine expands your consciousness exponentially into seeing how connected everything right. is right because it's from the plant and then you yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh it's we'll definitely have to do another episode about that and also another episode about sex because you and I talk about that a lot as well yeah. and there's so much to uncover there and how that <clears throat> relates back to sacred union and sacred union with yourself and understanding your own sexual needs and desires and yeah there's so much you and I could talk about we could do just like a whole a whole All series of episodes <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there's such a beautiful note to end on and um I just love our conversations and I love you you too I love you so much thank you for being such a beautiful presence in my life oh and you too I'm so grateful and it's just so funny how you know you spoke about that you know being be meeting the Israelis and <clears throat> you know they're not really a part of either of our lives anymore but we're a part of each other's lives yeah. and that's you know we were brought together frustrated. yeah okay thank you I love you I love you this episode of Reconditioned was brought to you with support by London's leading biological dentistry clinic the Indu Clinic in Harley Street, a one-of-a-kind clinic that combines biological dentistry with functional medicine to optimize not only your dental health, but your general well-being. Using practices such as safe mercury removal, removal of root canals and hidden infections, treatment of inflammation, treatment of cavitations, and much more. Visit nduclinic.com and receive 10% off your initial consultation and any scans or hygienist appointments by letting them know you came through Lauren on the Reconditioned podcast. Thank 
Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.